Today we're talking about biblical conflict, but first, I have two things that I want to talk about, okay? Two things that the Lord put on my heart. First one is money. Um, I want to talk about money just for a second. The Lord has placed uh, some universal principles at play, okay? Some universal laws that even the Lord himself operates by, which is crazy, but it's true. One of those is sowing and reaping, okay? And last year, I did a two-part series on uh, money. And personally, I thought it was awesome. <laughs> and personally, I think if you haven't listened to it, you honestly really should. Um, in it, I shared how I personally don't make a dime off of the church. Um, I work, and I'm a realtor, and so I, we, we take care of ourselves. And we use the money that the church would pay us to launch other people out into ministry and to shoot a whole bunch of people to go do what they're called to do. Um, so I can proudly stand here and talk to you and say, pay attention to God's principles regarding your money because I don't get a dime of it. And I love, I love that position. Okay, So here's what I want us to pay attention to. Sowing and reaping. It's a universal principle that he set up and he operates by. Anything you sow into, you will reap. Anything you do not sow into, you likely will not reap from. Can I get an amen? amen? Anything you sow into, you will reap. Anything you don't sow into, you will not reap. If you're a farmer and you expect to have a crop and you do not sow seed, you will not have a crop. Universal law, okay? God set it up. We should all pay attention to these things because they are real in every arena of our life. And not just in the practical, but in the spiritual as well. In the tangible, spiritual, every arena of our life, these things are true. God desires for you abundance more than you could ever dream of. Okay? Let me hit pause also and say a caveat. I'm not saying this because we need it as a church. Our church has more money than we've ever had before, to be honest. We don't need your money. Okay? I want you guys to be blessed abundantly. Okay? That's why we're talking about this. John 10.10 says, The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Say, boo. But I have come, Jesus talking, to give you life and to give it to the full. Okay? Jesus' desire for you is abundant life. Life in the full in every possible arena. Every part of your life overflowing with abundance. That's his desire. But because God set up these universal principles that even he lives by, if you don't go by his principles or by his rules, if you don't live your life according to those things, sometimes it's like you are tying God's hands behind his own back, preventing him from pouring out abundance into your life. Which that sounds crazy. God's, he's big. He can do anything. How can that be? But it's true because he set up these universal laws and principles that he operates by. Okay? So if we don't operate by his principles, we sometimes bind his own hands behind his back. His desire for you is abundance, but sometimes we keep that abundance at bay based on how we live. Okay? It's like a river. There's this river of God's blessing and abundance and goodness flowing from his heart, straight from his heart, because he wants you to get covered up in his goodness. Okay? But sometimes in your life, if you look at your life and you think, man, this thing is dying, this thing has been destroyed, this thing has been stolen, we have to pay attention of why is that. Because God desires abundance, the enemy comes to steal, kill, to destroy. So you got to look at your life sometimes and say, why is that? If God has a river of abundance flowing for me and it's not flowing all over me, there's a dam in the river somewhere and I need to go pay attention and figure out why is the dam there. 
Is it the enemy that came in and stole things? Or is it something that I did to put a dam in place to prevent the blessings of the Lord to come over me? All right? So then we've got to pay attention, and we've got to look at the block, and we've got to remove the block by repentance and asking God to come, and then let the river flow. And it will flow. All right? So um, his love is unconditional. Say, thank you, Lord. Your love is unconditional. But did you know that his blessings are not unconditional? Okay? His love is unconditional. All day, every day, it never stops. There's nothing you can do to stop it. But his blessings in your life are very conditional. His promises, his word, the things he talks to you about, they are very conditional. In the Bible, there's a ton of if you do this, then this will happen. In fact, in the Bible, there's 1,595 if verses. Okay? Extreme conditions, right? And if you read it, you realize, wow, it's very much directed, connected with how do we respond to the Lord's promise and his blessing and his offering. Okay? So this year, um, personally, last January, we committed, I, in my heart, I just really felt like, gosh, this year, God, I want to give more than I've ever given before. And I want to test you with giving to you. Okay? Micah 3.10. It says, bring the whole tithe. Bring it in. Don't hold it back at all. And test me in this and see if, there, if you will still have room to hold the abundance is basically what it says. Can somebody look it up? Micah 3.10. I want to read it. Sorry, Malachi 3.10. Thank you. Somebody needs to learn how to write. It does say Malachi. It just looks like. Okay, Mike, Malachi 3.10. Somebody open it up. So this last year in January, before I'd started the real estate stuff, I committed, God, I want to give you more than I've ever given before. This year, every commission that comes in, I'm going to give you 20% of every single one. And it's my heart that it gets bigger. Next year, I want to give more. I want to give more. I want to just be a crazy giver, okay? When I decided to do that, we were broke, okay? I had not made one sale in real estate, Ever in my history of life, not one sale, okay? I just got my license. I had just spent all my savings to be able to get my real estate license. We just had Christmas. I had no money and no hope of any money coming anytime soon. But I said, God, that's my commitment. I promise to you, I'm giving this to you. That's the deal. And that, it was very scary to me. And I felt like, gosh, that's a lot of money. We really need this money. How is that going to work? The Lord brings me a client, an acquaintance, a friend through a family member, kind of. They were friends. They were the family member. Okay. God brings me a client. Can I say my first commission was as much as I would have made working full-time at my previous job for the entire 12 months? Now, I made $1,000 a month, so don't think, you know. But my first commission was $12,000. And I said, okay, God, 20% of it is yours, which at $12,000, that's a lot of money. That was crazy to me. <laughs> and it was just enough to get us out of the debt that we'd gone in because we'd been three months, really four to five months, without any stream of income. And the commission paid just enough to tithe completely and give him the 20% and then pay off everything that we owed, Okay. Can I tell you that this year I have earned more money than I ever have dreamed of making, really. I've earned more money than I've ever thought possible, okay? And I really believe it's very connected to that commitment when I'm, that I made when I was Poe <laughs> last January. <laughs> I tested the Lord, 
And he has come over and over and over again. I continue to look at the business and I think, oh my gosh, this is craziness for a first year in real estate. This is nuts. And he's pouring out his blessings. So who's got Malachi 310? You do? Somebody else? Nobody else is volunteering, so. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Amen. Amen. That's the word of the Lord. That's his promise to you, okay? So I want to encourage you. If something's going on financially in your life, I want to encourage you. There are universal laws at play. And no matter what place of need that you are in, pay attention to the laws of God. And if you will test him on these things, he will show up in a great way. I'm not telling you, give money to the Lord so that you can get more money. That is not the way to do it, okay? But I'm telling you, when you bring your whole life into his ways, into his principles, there is abundance. And that's how it should be. Amen? Okay. I think that's all I have for that. We've got some good job testimonies happening. I really want to tell you guys about them. I'm going to wait till everybody's here. Because half of them aren't here. Well, I can tell two of them. Job testimonies, right? We believe the Lord to provide for us, but he provides through jobs too. So Premier House Tour is a little business that the three of us have started. And Makobi um, makes a certain amount full-time at Hemispheres. In the last month, the last four weeks, Premier House Tours has made the same amount as, as he's made full-time. Which, that's the goal, is he can quit. Yeah, he said before he wants to double his income that he's getting at uh, Hemispheres. And we've had not a lot of business, and it's already equaling what he's making there. Isn't that good? That's the Lord bringing in good stuff. And then Miss Kristen... Glad you're here. Can I tell you about yours? So Kristen's been, she works at First American Title, and um, the Lord gave her a good job, but it's been frustrating because realtors often are jerks. And so she's been longing for something different, and the Lord just opened the door. Tomorrow morning, she gets to move positions in the company, doing something that I th we think she's going to like a whole lot more. Isn't that awesome? There's two more, but I I'll wait for those people to be here. Okay, next. Moving on. We're closing the money section. We're moving to... What season are we in as a church, okay? So, we talked a lot about the season we're in in the summertime coming out of the summer and how it was a pruning season. We taught on pruning and what is pruning and what's it for, and then we saw pruning in the church, and the church kind of shrunk a little bit. And so this last two weeks, especially this last week, the enemy has been putting this thought in my mind that is straight from the devil. He's been saying, like, specifically, the thought is, man... Life would be a lot easier if uh, we just all went to a big church and just enjoyed each other and checked church off the box and moved on. Which is, a, I mean, that's not my thought. That's never my thoughts. That's straight from the devil. But I've had that thought try to enter my head several times this last week. And I've been a little discouraged, like, man, especially for those who were here last week. We had, like, three people in church. And I was like, Lord, are you sure? Like, this is a lot of effort. And I know we've talked about this before. But this is a lot of effort to do what you're wanting to do. 
And yesterday, okay, last week we talked about culture of honor. If you didn't get to hear it, you really should go listen to it because I was preaching for the iPod, and it was awesome, <laughs> and you need to change your life based on honoring people. It was good. And so um, last week we talked about internal pressure. When the Lord wants to highlight something in your life, he doesn't bring external pressure. He brings internal pressure. And we talked about how a bike tire, when a bike goes flat, the, it goes flat. And the way to find the leak in the bike is to take the tube out, put it in water, and you have this external pressure coming upon it. No amount of external pressure is going to show you where the hole is. The only way to find the hole in the bike tire is to fill it with internal pressure inside the external pressure, and then you start to see where the hole is, okay? And we talked about how God, when he wants to get at something, he's going to fill you with internal pressure, and he does that by asking great questions, okay? Because it creates this thing inside of you where you're like, what is going on? Oh my gosh, I see the problem. Okay? So, the Lord filled me with internal pressure yesterday. And I'm talking to the Lord about this thought that I just shared with you guys. And he says, huh, let me just ask you a few questions, son. <laughs> oh, kind of like brace yourself. I was like, okay. Yes, Lord. He said, are you in a season of growth as a church right now? Like, is that my intention right now? And I thought about it, and I said, no, that's not your intention. He said, well, what is my intention? And then he began to remind me all the messages that he taught us about pruning and how pruning comes, and without pruning, the tree cannot become everything it's supposed to be. The, the gardener has this grand plan of what this tree is supposed to become, but without his constant care, keeping it going in the direction it's supposed to go, it won't get there. And it'll become, uh, it'll grow the wrong direction. It won't be strong enough to handle the fruit. There's all sorts of things can happen if you don't prune the tree. So he said, don't you remember all these things we talked about with pruning? And I said, yeah, but I thought, you know, like, I'm ready to grow. Like, we prune, okay, let's go, let's go, what's next? And he said, no, after the fruit is pruned, after the tree is pruned, it looks very scrawny, and it looks miserable, and it looks puny. It looks like a joke. And he's kind of like, that's you right now. <laughs> like, oh, okay, thanks. He said, but listen, that time after the pruning is one of the most important parts of the pruning process. Because before the fruit comes, there is internal growth happening inside of the tree that strengthens the branches of the tree to be able to hold the fruit that's coming. And so I felt like he said, that is exactly where you are right now. He said, what were the two goals for this semester for the church? And we talked about it a lot, but the two goals were for us as a leadership to learn how to operate as a team, and number two was to build really good community, to focus all of our efforts on community and loving people really well. He said, those are your two goals. How are you doing in those two goals? And I sat and thought about it, and I started thinking, man, like, we're not there by any means, but there are pretty major steps forward in both departments. And we're being challenged and we're learning things and we're pressing forward in both the team and the community. And I've heard so many stories from you guys about different ways that on your own you are initiating community and deep friendship with people around you. And I could not be more proud. You guys are doing an amazing job. You are embracing the message of the season, and you are creating deep and real community, and we need to continue to do that and press in more and more and more because that is the goal of the season, okay? And so after I talked to the Lord about these things, that's what I thought like he said. This is a season of internal growth. The fruit will come. The growth will come. And yes, in the next season of growth, we're going to really begin to see 
what is the character of Bethel OKC? Who, who are we really going to look like with this next wave of people that comes in? But in the meantime, we are in a beautiful and powerful season of internal growth where the Lord is strengthening us as a body to be able to handle the fruit when it comes. Amen? So I don't know if anybody in the room has felt discouraged in the same ways, but I just want to encourage you as well. When we feel that way, recognize the season of what God has been speaking to us and embrace it wholeheartedly and stand strong on what he's been talking to us about. Amen? Amen. Okay. So, now on to biblical conflict. Are you ready? Awesome. Two little whispers. I'll whisper to you. (laughs) Remember, the goal for the season is to love well. Last week we talked about culture of honor. Uh, You can find it on the podcast. We talked about how we can't love well if we don't have honor. And then this week I want to talk about conflict. When you love well, you will become offended. Anybody? Anybody loved really well and been really offended? Rachel and I, we we know how this one is. (laughs) Because I've been offended. I'm the one I love the most in the world. (laughs) Anybody else in the room? Yeah? Okay. So... Open up to Genesis chapter 4, verses 3 through 8. You can use your phones if you want, but everybody needs to go there. Genesis 4, chapter, chapter 4, verse 3 through 8. Father, we just ask that you would come and help us understand the principles of conflict according to your heart. And let them go deep into our hearts that we would change the way that we live based on your word. In Jesus' name. All right. Everybody sit forward. Y'all with me? Are we ready? Okay. Now look at your Bible. Genesis 4, verse 3. It says, Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. Sounds like a good idea. Way to go. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked at favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain, his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do what is not right... Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. And now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked the brother Abel and killed him. All right. So Cain brings an offering to the Lord. The Lord doesn't accept it. Cain gets offended. Okay. Cain should have been mad at God and should have wanted to kill God, but he wanted to kill his brother because his brother was favored and he wasn't. Cain's offense was misdirected. Principle number one, offense oftentimes is misdirected in the wrong place. Okay? So his offense is misdirected. Then God approaches him and says, why are you angry? Do the right thing. Don't do the wrong thing. If you do the wrong thing, sin is crouching at your door waiting for you, but you must overcome it, is what God says. In the Hebrew, the word sin is the word 
Chata. <laughs> you want me to repeat it? Sin in Hebrew is the word chata, <laughs> which is, comes from the word chata, <laughs> which means offense. Okay? So the word sin comes from the root word offense. Okay? Now read the scriptures and replace the word sin with offense. Okay? Here we go. Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, offense is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Anybody ever felt like that with offense? Where you feel it pressing on you. You feel like, man, when I get home, it's just waiting for me. Like that offense to come upon me and take me over. And the Lord says, yes, that is the truth. Offense is waiting for you to come and devour you. It wants to overtake your life. You must overcome it. Okay? So God says, sin, offense, and the devil, they are standing at your door waiting for you to make the wrong choice. Offense literally opens the door for sin and the devil in your life. There should be some woes with that one. Because offense literally opens the door for the devil to come into your life. Okay? So we need to pay attention to offense when offense happens. So offense is often misdirected. When offended, often something bigger is going on under the surface that you don't realize. How nice would Cain's life have been if he would have stopped and realized, oh, it's not because God doesn't like me. It's because he's trying to set up a pattern of the blood of Jesus washing over everybody's sins that he's going to teach people for centuries to pay attention to so that when Jesus comes and dies on the cross, they realize what God was doing from this day until then. Oh, okay, God, I'm sorry. I'll bring a blood offering instead of my vegetables, right? That's a lot bigger thing going on. But he was so offended, his offense blinded him to see the bigger thing going on. So the next time you get offended, number one, realize offense is often misdirected. Number two, realize there is often something much larger going on under the surface. Ask God what it is. And number three, realize that offense is literally opening the door for the devil to come into your life and take you over. But your job, according to God, is to overtake it. Amen? All right. They say that uh, after this happened, God banishes Cain, in the Bible is what it says, and he's a loner for the rest of his life. And then history supposedly suggests that Cain actually founded China. And if Cain could have heard today's message and lived his life based on the principles of conflict, perhaps he wouldn't have started China. He would have lived with his family. All right, moving on. Uh, Matthew chapter 5. Everybody open up to Matthew chapter 5. In my Bible, that's page 1,123, which I had to write the page number because I have a chronological Bible, and you would be sitting waiting hours for me to find Matthew chapter 5 in my Bible. Are you ready? Matthew chapter 5? Do we need to lean forward again? Everybody with me? Okay. We're moving through. Matthew chapter 5, verse 23 through 24. It says this. Jesus is talking. He says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar... And there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Okay? 
So you are worshiping. Literally what's happening in this verse is somebody has come to God to give God their worship and adoration and praise. And Jesus comes over and says, whoa, 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 whoa. Hold on. Time out. Time out. What's going on? And he stops them from worshiping. When I read this verse a few years back, I thought, what? Why in the world, Jesus, would you stop somebody from giving their worship to you, giving their adoration to you? Why would you stop that? Why not like worship and connect with God and then hear what you're supposed to do and then go fix the problem? But Jesus said, no, first, leave your gift at the altar, stop everything, immediately stop everything, and then go to this person. Go take care of this relational issue first so that then you can connect with God. And I thought, that is so strange. Why does he do that? The other thing that's strange about this verse is that in this verse, it's talking about if you've remembered that your brother or sister has something against you. So in this, say, in this case, Jesus isn't even saying if you have done something wrong against your brother. Jesus is saying if somebody around you thinks that you did something wrong against them. If somebody else has a thought against you, stop everything even if you've been in the right, and get up and leave the presence of God and go make it right with these people, which is crazy. And I started thinking, Lord, why would you do that? I don't understand why you would stop worship and go connect with these people. And then I remembered in Psalms 24, verses 3 through 4, it says, Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart. Okay? So you can just imagine you're holding your gift before the Lord and you're trying to ascend to the Lord and maybe there's some guilt on your hands or some guilt on your heart. He says, put it down, go clean, and then come back to him. Micah 6.8 says, he has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. So if you come into worship... What he desires, what he's longing for from your worship is for you to act like he would act, to act justly, to act rightly, to love mercy and to be humble. So what a great situation where you're sitting there, you're bringing your worship to the Lord and he says, stop. Do you think it's going to help you have a humble heart to stop and then to go to this person that thinks that, that you've offended them and to approach them humbly and to say, hey, look, maybe you've got something wrong with me. Can we talk about it? Right? Even if you did nothing wrong. It's going to purify your heart. It's going to purify your hands. It's going to purify your life. In that, in that act, you are literally worshiping the Lord by acting justly, by being humble with the Lord and going to be with him. Okay? So that's one of them. I'm blazing through here. So Jesus said, stop, leave your gift. If you're bringing a gift to God, the gift he accepts is one of a pure heart that does right in his sight and highly values his and others' mercy. And who is humble before God, walking humbly, how he says to walk. That's what he accepts. That's what he loves. The next thing that Jesus said in this verse, he said, first, go and be reconciled to them and then come and offer your gift. So that word reconciliation, say reconciliation. Reconciliation is restoration of friendly relations. Good. Reconciliation is action of making one view or belief compatible with another. It's the action of making financial accounts consistent. It's the action of harmonization. Say harmonization. So reconciliation is bringing things into harmony, bringing things into peace. All right? So Jesus said, go to that person who has something against you because they've been offended by you. And raise your hand if you've ever offended somebody without doing anything wrong. 
Me, big time. I believe <laughs> with all my heart. I'm sure that I did something wrong, but oftentimes it doesn't feel like I did anything wrong, and I still offend people, and I'm sorry. So he says, go and be reconciled with these people. Why do you think reconciliation is such a big deal to him? Let's open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, page 1336. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Okay? Verse 18 through 20 says this. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, and though God, through God, sorry, as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Okay? So what ministry did Jesus give to you? Jesus gave you the ministry of reconciliation. So if he died on the cross to make you right with God, to reconcile you, and then he gave you the ministry of reconciling others, do you think that he cares a lot about reconciliation? Yeah, he really does. And so that's why if you're before the Lord and you're worshiping and you remember somebody has something against you, it's so important to Jesus that you stop everything, you go and be reconciled to them because that is the ministry he's given to you, to be reconciled with them and to reconcile them with God. You can't help reconcile them with God if you're not reconciled with them. Okay, the human relationship thing has got to be right in order for the, this relationship to be right. Okay, for them to receive from your life, y'all got to be right first before they are going to be right. Amen? Okay, so that's reconciliation. He literally died for it. He gave it to you as your ministry. So what's it look like to be reconciled? How do you do it? Number one, say number one, recognize the offense. We're on the home stretch. Number one, recognize the offense. Realize there is an offense in play. Number two, ask God about it. And ask him how he sees them. Do you remember last week we talked about taking time to ask God, how do you view this person so that I can honor them according to who you say they are? Okay? So take time to ask God, what do you think about this offense? What do you think about this situation? What do you think about that person who I'm really frustrated with at the moment? Okay? Get God's perspective on it. Number three, address them. Talk rationally but honestly. Okay? So if you're bad about getting all hot and heavy in your talk, calm it down, okay? Talk honestly and share your feelings with them, but talk rationally. You need to be humble when you talk to them. You need to listen well so that they feel that you are paying attention to what they're saying and you are agreeing. You don't have to agree, but you have to at least hear what they're saying, what they're sharing with you, Okay? And you can do that. We're going to talk about communication skills later on. But you can do that by repeating to them what they've just said or making it clear that you understand the words coming out of their mouth. Okay? All right. So be humble. Listen well so that they feel like you hear what they're saying. Don't quit until you are back in harmony. Okay? One of the number one keys for conflict. If you feel that something is out of harmony... Go fix it, and don't quit until it's fixed, even if it's hard. 
even if you feel like you're banging on a gate and we're never going to get there and we just keep talking about this over and over and over and over, do not quit until you're back in harmony. Okay? And you're going to feel it. When you come back in harmony, you're coming to a place where their views and opinions are back at a peaceful, harmonized place according with your views, where you can connect together on this one thing. Even if you believe different things, you can be at harmony. And raise your hand if you felt it. You've been conflicting, fighting, talking it out, trying to work it out, and then all of a sudden, there's peace. You feel in your spirit when you are resolved. It's, some, it's a gift that God gave you. You know it in your spirit when you're resolved. Harmonization, peace from the Holy Spirit comes and fills your heart, okay? Don't quit until you have that in your heart, amen? Lastly, forgive and ask for forgiveness and then hug it out. Okay, last verse, Matthew 18. Matthew chapter 18, verse 15. Jesus is talking. He says, If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along, so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen, even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or tax collector. Verse 18, truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for it, will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. And then Peter came to Jesus, and he asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but seventy-seven times. Some others, some others say 70 times 7. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. And since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. After this, at this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him. He canceled the debt, and he left him, let him go. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees, and he begged him, Be patient with me. I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off, and he had the man thrown in prison until he could pay the debt. And when the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged. And they went and told their master everything that had happened. And then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to do so. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. Verse 35. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. I don't know if y'all have ever read the words of Jesus, but sometimes they're crazy, <laughs> and this is one of them. So, the last one in that list is forgive and ask for forgiveness, and no matter how many times they offend you or hurt you, 
Jesus says, forgive. They offend you again tomorrow, forgive. Again the next day, forgive. Again the next day, forgive, 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 forgive. Don't ever stop forgiving. You must forgive. You must come back to reconciliation. That's what he died for, to reconcile people, okay? So we have to forgive. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but the reality that Jesus tells us is that if you choose not to forgive other people, God will not be able to forgive you. But it's crazy. So no matter how bad it hurts, okay, we're, we're going to talk about forgiveness another day. It's a whole different conversation of how to do that. Forgiveness doesn't mean being stupid. Remember last week we talked about honor doesn't mean being stupid. Forgiveness doesn't mean being stupid either. You can put boundaries in place. You can protect yourself. and You can be smart about how you forgive. But forgiveness must happen, okay, or else the Lord can't forgive you. And we definitely want all of you forgiven by the Lord. So we got to learn to forgive people, okay? One easy way to do it is to ask the Lord, what do you think about this situation? You can close your eyes. You can think about it. This really hurt Jesus. Show me where were you when this happened. Why did this person do this to me? That's a great question to ask. Why did this person do this to me? And oftentimes the Lord will show you something bigger going on in their life and you just got the junk out of that situation. And if you have that understanding of why, a lot of times it's much easier to forgive. And forgiving does not mean that there is no consequence to that person. That there is no um, consequence is probably the best word, okay? But what forgiveness does is it says, God, this hurt. This person did wrong. And that was wrong what they did. But I'm choosing to let them off the hook, and I'm handing them over to you, and now you deal with them. And what happens when you forgive, it's like, it's as if God has a gun pointed. This gun of justice and love and however he works in people's hearts, it's aimed and it's cocked and it's ready to shoot. But when you are standing in the way of the person, you prevent him from pulling his trigger and doing the work that he wants to do in their life because he would shoot you on accident. So when you forgive, you let them off the hook. You get out of the way, and you allow God to do what he wants to do in that person's life. Okay? Amen? The last time I talked about that, I pulled out a real gun. So just, <laughs> you're welcome today. Um, all right, so that's all I've got. I want to recap these tips, okay? Are you ready to recap? Say, offense is often misdirected. When I'm offended, often something bigger is going on under the surface. Offense literally opens the door for sin and the devil in my life. But I must rule over it. There's too many things to recap. Jesus said, even if you've done nothing wrong and the other person feels that you've offended them leave your stuff at the altar go make it right reconcile with them and then come back to him okay bring things back into harmony and then jesus says forgive if you don't forgive he can't forgive you okay that's our that's our um short version of biblical conflict maybe we'll touch on more later on but is that helpful some good principles don't be like cain don't go found china <laughs> live by these biblical principles of conflict, okay? And when there's conflict going on, pay attention to these things, connect with the Lord about it. All right, so let's all stand up.
Put your hands out. Say, Father, is there anybody that, uh, sorry, my, I, y'all been doing great all day, sorry. Just in your heart, quietly, ask, Father, is there anybody that I need to conflict with? Anybody I have offended or anybody that has offended me? Holy Spirit, I just ask that you'd help each and every one of us, especially me, conflict according to the laws of heaven. Help me to forgive well. Help me to recognize when offense is standing at my door. Help me to rule over it. Help me to be a humble man that goes and talks it out when I think I've offended somebody else, even if I felt like I did nothing wrong. And help me to be able to forgive well. In Jesus' name. Put it deep in our hearts, Holy Spirit. Supernaturally seal it up in our minds and put it in our spirits. That your principles and your ways would change the way that we live from this day until the day we die. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.